Welcome back to another episode of the number two Pittsburgh sports podcast in Ireland. It's around the 412. I am Tyler. With me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure to go follow us on all of our social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. We've, we've got all of it on there. And also go check out some of the links that we have in the description of each show that is on all the listening platforms as well as YouTube. But let's get right into the show. Number Let's two in Ireland. Right in th- Number two in Ireland. Can't forget that. Let's mention it one more time. Number two Pittsburgh sports podcast in Ireland. It's funny. Like, I wonder who number I, one is. Huh? I wonder who number one is. Mm, I don't want to. I know North Shore Nine's what? The number two baseball podcast in Belgium. So yeah. I, I don't want to give them that much credit and say that they've got the Ireland market as well. Um, I don't know. Really hope it's not one of my former employer. (laughs) Could be. (laughs) I don't know. But who knows? Uh, Last week, we got to have Hunter Hodes on here, which the show did really well. We appreciate everybody that checked out that one. If that was maybe your first time watching or listening, you were back this week. Welcome back. We appreciate that. Of course, everybody subscribe to the channel. Leave us a five-star review. Do all that stuff that Tyler mentioned as well. Um, Let's start talking about the Penguins just because... That's kind of where we left off the conversation last week was talking about the Penguins. So might as well just pick back up with it because we now know that Kyle Dubas is going to be here for the long haul. Um, I don't know if this has officially been put out yet, but like there's been a lot of speculation. That's a seven year deal for him in Pittsburgh. Either way, it's longer term than shorter term, which is kind of what we expected. But it also says, okay, like he is going to be, if you remember when we talked about like, the allure of the job right and you were questioning like if it even is an attractive job for dubas to take because of mm-hmm. the aging core and wanting to rebuild this goes to show like he is you know in for that though he's gonna like have this competitive window obviously hopefully in these last few years of the core and then yeah he's going to be the guy that oversees that transitional period once that core is gone to try to build the franchise back up, which is very interesting to know. This is what I was hoping would be the case. Uh, and now it looks like it's coming to fruition where Kyle Dubas is going to be the guy running the show for the long haul. How did you feel when you saw that, you know, it was going to be a longer term thing again, like not official yet, but people were talking in the ballpark of seven years, $40 million for Kyle Dubas, which, you know, for <laughs> a front office executive, he's basically getting paid like a player. Um, yeah. But what were your thoughts on this initially when you saw it? Well, like we said, FSG is not going to withhold some of their cash, um, assuming these numbers are accurate. I, I, I think the deal's great. Uh, little did we know that the last thing Ron Hextall was going to do was hand out another long contract. Just kidding. <laughs> Ron Hextall didn't make this Be deal. Be responsible but, for another seven-year deal. Yeah. But, you know, it, 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 it fits the mold after the offseason we had last year to open up this offseason with, with another long contract like that. But no, I think it's great. And I think, like you were saying, it fits perfectly into what we were saying. And what I was kind of talking about, like, does a GM want to, and he, he's not the GM, technically, but d- does anybody want to come in and do this job just because of how much responsibility you have on two different fronts? You have the responsibility to continue to try to win for this core because we saw last year that the, the top-end players that are still aging but still playing at a high level they can still win it's just Mm -hmm. you have to build the right team around them um and then you have the responsibility of fixing that that farm system i mean there's almost no prospects that are worth anything in the in the penguin system there's a couple that could be nhl players eventually but there's no not really anybody knocking on the door uh, at least at least banging the door down 
And then we're several years away from guys like Joel Blomquist um, or That's Owen Pickering. There, about, there's yeah. there's a couple that, that that are worth something, but besides that, it's pretty empty. I think that Kyle Dubas uh, is going to take this deal or he took this deal because he wants that challenge, and I think it's a good challenge to take on for him. Um, and I, I think that he is the GM to be able to do it. I thought he had some pretty good drafts in Toronto and got some some key players that are. I mean, we've seen how the Toronto Marlies, I think they won the Calder Cup a couple years ago, if I'm not mistaken. And and then uh, you you see the way he's still able to compete in Toronto with what he's dealing with. I I think that it's a good thing that he's here long term. I prefer it that way. It shows that the the ownership is like, okay, we're handing you the keys. We have full confidence in you, even though you haven't even made one transactional thing happen. We're going to give you the seven-year deal. We're going to give you a ton of cash. And we trust your plan. I'm assuming he had a plan, and he's not going to be like Ron Hextall that is like, I'm I'm not going to oh, tell my. you my plan. I, I'm I'm assuming he laid out a, a pretty good plan for FSG, and I'm and I'm sure that part of that plan was was written up after his visit with like Mike Sullivan and Sidney Crosby, and, and seeing where they are as a team and as as a player, and and then looking at the organization as a whole after knowing what they want in the next few years as as they're getting into the twilight of their career. Um, but I, I, I think it's a great move to give him a long-term deal because I think it's it's just showing a lot of trust in him and, and showing some much-needed trust that, that needs to be repaired from a, a, a ownership standpoint to to the – the management of team of this franchise and honestly to the play to the fans of this franchise were showing like we have full trust in this and also showing that they they care about the penguins in general we still need them to get in that twitter banner but you know that's neither here nor um but yeah no seven year deal assuming that is the case i think it's great for for kyle dubas and it opens up the door for him to have a lot of success for a long time and and really show what he's able to do as a president of hockey ops for this team. And I mean, we'll be in our thirties and it'll, it'll be ushering out a new, a new regime and, and ushering in a new, another one. So I, th- I think it's going to be really fun. We're going to be sitting on here ta- on around the four, one, two talking about how Kyle Dubas drafted Nikita Malkin. <laughs> <laughs> like that's how long we're, yeah. we're talking about here. Yeah, uh, I mean that's that's in. Well, well, I'm 28 now, so his his deal expires when we're 35. So, if, if that seven years is accurate, yeah. And Nikita, now I'm just going, Nikita now I'm was going born. Back to where, on, let's uh, let's just think about that for a sec. Nikita was born during the first cup run, I believe, because I think he was. A, there's pictures of him in the cup in the second cup run. Okay, or something like that. I, I can't remember which one he was born in. I think it was the first one. So that means that if he was born in 2016, he would be 18 in 2034. Yeah, we still have quite so, a while. I was, I was, so yeah, that's under the new. That is under the uh, the current contract. If it is seven years for wait, Kyle Dubas. Wait, 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 wait. 2000 what? 2016. He'd be 18 in 2034. Yeah, seven years from now is 2030. Dude, what am I doing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to. Or 2031, to... depending on how. You, like, yeah, that would probably be the 2030-2031 okay. season. For well, two, let's but... let's assume Kyle Dubas get, does well and gets an extension by that. Gets a second contract. He's, yeah, he's still, he's still gonna be. He's still gonna draft a key. Hopefully, it's case. Yeah. Uh, but really, honestly, the point of me even saying that was just to once again reiterate how sad our lives are compared to Kyle Dubas when you put everything in the perspective where he's at at his current age and where we're at. Um, 
You mentioned the drafts, though. I, I wanted to bring up something that I had seen just to try to get a gauge on, you know, how he's going to approach this thing. He likes to trade back quite a bit. He's had he ran six drafts in Toronto. He's traded back six times in those drafts. So he, he likes to move down the board a bit. Is that something that you think could be in play at 14 or like, I mean, it's weird to even have a first round pick in the middle of round one. So like, this is new territory for us. Obviously it's a new guy running the show. Um, so we can really only go based off his trends in Toronto. Um, to me, like I, I don't need, I, I definitely comparatively, the NHL draft is the one I pay the least amount of attention to. Um, but I just think when you get down to that point, unless it's a player that slides out, that really has no business being there. Like I'm open for business, whether that's moving that pick for a player that can help right now an impact player for the top six or something, because you're you could potentially be losing Jason Zucker. So you're going to have a spot in the top six or something like that. Like I'm, I'm open for that. I would also definitely be open to moving back. Have you even given this any thought? Honestly, no, because I don't really think about the NHL draft too much outside of who's going to be like the first one or two players selected. Um, yeah, like this year, it's, you it, know. It, yeah, this year, I it's it's Bedard and then mm-hmm. everyone else. But I I think I'm open to it, kind of for the same reason you, you are. Like, I don't think unless there's somebody that is falling out, which I did see that there was a name that people think could be falling out of the top 10 who was originally going to be selected like high in the top 10. Um, it's like Mishkov or something, I don't yep. know, some yep, Russian yep, yep. name, I think. Mm-hmm. And he's super, um, I mean, he's probably, that's one of those cases where it's like the talent's probably too, the talent for me would probably be too good to pass up. That is one of the few players that I know. The talent for me would be too good to pass up should he slide. But you're talking about a guy that's definitely not helping in the Crosby window. Yeah, yeah. And and honestly, nobody is. Unless you're, and unless you're selecting in like the top two or three, and it, it honestly depends on the draft too. You could, you could have some drafts that even the number one overall pick, there's probably some question whether he's going to play in the NHL right away or whether he should play in the NHL right away. But when it comes to where the, the Penguins are selecting at 14, like I don't really care if they move back. If, if Kyle Dubas thinks that's in the Penguins' best interest and if he views it from a standpoint of, I don't think I'm going to improve the team immediately right away, but I think I'm better suited to to move back and help this farm system as quickly as I can. And he thinks that this is the draft to do so. Then I'm all for it. I I trust him completely with this, with the draft and and with the picks. If he wants to trade it again, I I I, I trust him with that. Um, but trading down, if that's a trend that he does, I'm open to it. I feel like this is a question that would be better suited for like Jesse. If we had him on, because he actually knows all the players in like the first round, at least. And, and I mean, even yeah, more than brought that. up he, Nikita he Malkin. He's got his scouting report ready. So, yeah, yeah. He loves diving into the draft. And so that, that's better question suited for him. But I, I, I think that I'm very open to it because unless you're taking Connor Bedard, no one is coming up to the NHL right away. So if you're not going to prove right away, if you think you can get the better value by trading back and, and get more players that you think could be NHL players eventually, I'm all for it. Yeah, I was trying to take a look. Um, actually, I did want to do see this real quick. I know people absolutely hate every type of mock draft anyway, but I just want to see like what the latest one even has. Um, and I'm just saying the, the Mishkov, um, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's the name I saw on Twitter. So like, I'm just looking at his elite prospects right now and current they, on elite prospects, they have the rankings and there's a bunch of different sites with all the rankings. So I'm just going to go through 
not say the sites, but just say the numbers that he's ranked by these sites. Um, number three, number four, number three, number four, number four, number five, number four, number two, number five, number three, number three, number two, number three. So he's like a consensus top five player on all these rankings, but there is something coming out that he could be falling out of the top 10. I didn't really look into it. Do you know why he he would be falling out of the top 10? Um, I'm looking at it here. Uh, I mean, he's super light. I don't know if that plays into it. He's 5'10", 148 pounds. Um, at least that's what his elite Yeah, this latest mock draft has him going at eight. And it even mentions, like, he's definitely going to fall out of the top three. They have him as a top three player in the class. But they mm-hmm. said, but the context of his play in future will see him drop out of the range, that range almost certainly. I wonder but why. But a lot, a lot of people consider him to be the best Russian prospect since Alex Ovechkin. Not I expect mean, won't won't arrive in North America until a veteran's current contract finishes. Okay. Uh worth mentioning on here, this has the penguins going Kobe Barlow. Reason being they are looking for somebody who can support Sidney Crosby and have Jenny Malkin sooner rather than later uh on the wing and be a decent player for them once their order core has moved on. So it kind of sounds like this guy is a lower ceiling type of prospect, but he probably could arrive sooner than most. Okay, well, that's what we thought with Sam Pullen, but, you know, here we are. Yeah, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> here we are. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I'm not, you know, glued to the idea of them sticking at 14. Um, it's it's a trend that Dubas has followed moving back in drafts, so I think it's worth mentioning and worth monitoring as we get closer if they even hold on to that pick. But Just, just um, trade the first. Trade it for Connor Hellebuck and call, call it a day. <laughs> hey. There you go. Um, and I wanted to mention a name that was thrown out there for the Penguins. Ryan O'Reilly, who honestly in the past, like I've tried to link to the Penguins, they, but they were in an article today, three possible destinations for Ryan O'Reilly. Um, they were listed as one of the top destinations, which makes sense considering, you know, Dubas acquired him in Toronto last season. He was very good in Toronto. He always seems like a guy that turns it up a little bit in the playoffs too. Just seems like a better playoff player than a regular season player. Obviously he won the Stanley Cup in St. Louis and was, you know, maybe the biggest reason outside of Jordan, Jordan Bennington that year that that was the case. Um, but what do you think about Ryan Riley? Do you think that there's enough gas left in the tank for it to make sense as, you know, a third line center that could also kill some penalties and, and play big minutes for that or not big minutes, but important minutes for them. And then obviously be a playoff performer too, or where are you at with Ryan O'Reilly? Do you think he's cooked? I don't think he's cooked. I mean, I'm, I looked at his J fresh card after you, there you we put go. that in the notes. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, 89% war and the, 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 granted this, this card was back in February of this year. Um, but 89% war, his 86% um, de- even strength defense and 71% offense. I think if you could bring this guy in to be your third line center, that would be a drastic improvement upon what you had last year. Like yeah. huge mm-hmm. improvement. And I, I I think you're getting a guy that is playing good both ways. I don't think he's falling off the cliffs. Sure, like he hasn't had the same point, point total that he's had like a few years ago in St. Louis. But I think that's not what I would be looking for in um, a third line center role. I think this year he had 30 points in 54 games or somewhere around 30 some odd points in 54 games. I was looking at it earlier. I, I would be perfectly fine with that. If you get somebody that is efficiently good on defense can win face offs like he can. And I, I, I think that he would be a really good 
player. Also, 83% finishing, 83 percentile finishing. Uh, the yeah. Penguins could really use that. Yep. Um, and I, I, I just think that this is a player that could really improve that bottom six. We talked about it so much that you need to improve upon that. That is what killed this team. That and goaltending. And I think this would be a perfect place to start. Um, I think he would fit the mold pretty well. And I, I keep saying it, but it's it just feels so true. It'd be such an improvement at third line center. And really the the, the improvement we that we've wanted at third line center since Nick Meaning left in 2017. So I, I am all for it. So you were saying the, the 30 points uh oh that was in total. I or- uh, it, total yeah, okay. I, I believe it so. was i'm looking yeah, yeah yeah which is a i mean a drastic fault like every season besides one year where he only played 29 games in colorado he's been a 50 point guy so that was a pretty drastic um fall off for him but i mean if you take into consideration it just it wasn't a good year in st louis and then obviously the quality of line mates dropping because if when you go to toronto you know you're no longer going to be in that, playing in that capacity you're not john Tavares. you're not at austin matthews you're not mitch marner you're not william nylander like he was taking yeah. on a lesser role in toronto so i think you know you're he's probably still a guy that can push for 40 points and yeah but even in toronto center, even in toronto he still did have 11 points in 13 games yeah so he, he improved whenever he got to toronto so i think being in a better environment even though he would be in that lesser role he's shown that he could score points still and he would be good on the second power play as well. Yeah, I think the metrics are good. He had uh, nine points in eleven playoff games this year for Toronto. So yeah, I mean it doesn't doesn't really help with the narrative that the team's old by getting a thirty two year old. But you know, it's a thirty two year old that I could think can still play. Don't give him a six year contract, and I'd be all for it. <laughs> that's, yeah, him, that's the thing. That's a big thing. <laughs> give him a give him like a two to three year contract, and I, I'd be okay with it. Yeah. Um. But all right, unless you have anything else with the pens, um, nope, not with the pens. Yeah, I think we can move on. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Steelers as OTAs continue this week. A um, couple things to touch on, actually. You know, basically just straight up stealing content from an article that I saw in terms of one of our topics. Let's but go. It is what it is. It's content season. Uh, we'll be right back to talk some Steelers. All right, so I thought of this completely on my own, this one topic that we're going to talk Naturally. about here. Yeah. You and everybody else on TikTok that, that makes up their own videos. <laughs> uh, no, this is from the Steelers Wire. They, they listed uh, the five most important players on the Steelers roster heading into this season. So, like, who are going to determine how the 2023 season goes? Um, I think there's some obvious ones in there. I'm hoping that we can kind of differentiate on some of these as we go down our list. Um, let's start with some that I think we can agree on. Kenny Pickett, you're too late. Like it needs to happen for this offense to be able to keep up. You look at the AFC when you got to compete with Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, like the quarterbacks around the AFC, Aaron Rodgers now in the AFC, um, say Sean Payton does resurrect Russell Wilson. Like the AFC quarterbacks compared to the NFC quarterbacks, is, as as much as I don't want to bring him up, Deshaun Watson in the division. Yeah, if he refi- if he finds his twenty twenty form, yeah, I mean, just within the division alone could be insane. You need Kenny Pickett to take that year two leap. Um, 
and you kind of look at the ecosystem that they, they're putting him in. I know a lot of people are going to be questioning and ourselves included. We've harped on it. We didn't want him back this year. Obviously, the offensive coordinator is like the one thing that you look at immediately and say, this could hamstring this guy. But you look at everything else that they put around him. They've built around him the way that they've kind of redone the offensive line. They've you know kind of replenished the skill positions, added a, a blocking tight end. It, it sounds like they're going more to play action this year, potentially, if OTAs are any indication. Uh, a year two, like nothing else matters if Kenny Pickett doesn't take a leap in year two. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Kenny Pickett is also one of my top five. I, I think it's clear cut and I will say that is my only offensive player that I have. And I, I yeah. feel like that. And I, and we, we conversed a little bit before on about our list, just so we weren't saying the exact same things or we, we might be saying the exact same things just so we had somewhat idea. Neither of us are saying offensive linemen either, any of them. And I, I think that could be surprising to some people um, just because you've got a lot of new faces along that offensive line. And so yeah. I, I, but I think I, as a whole, they're important. I just can't single out yeah. one and say that guy is the most important. Yeah, neither can I. Um, but Kenny Pickett is so, so obvious for the reasons you were saying, how competitive the AFC is at quarterback position, which when you compare the AFC to the NFC now, it's an absolute joke. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's like the, it's like comparing how many the, guys from the NFC. I mean, seriously, real quick, not to stray too far away from the topic at hand. How many quarterbacks in the NFC can you fit into your top 10? Uh, like top 10 quarterbacks in the league? Yeah. I mean, Jalen Hurts is obvious. Maybe two. Yeah. I know I'm, I've always been higher on Dak. And like, I know last year he had like a ridiculous turnover outlier season. But like, actually, he was part of a YouTube video I just recently made on my personal channel. But I think Dak is for sure in the top 10. And then obviously Hurts has to be kind of in that upper echelon at this point with the year he just had. Outside of those two, I, I don't I think the other eight might be in the AFC. See, I wasn't even thinking Dak. And it's probably just recency bias because of how bad of a year he is. Although recency bias is ironic because the person I was going to say, a healthy Matt Stafford. I, I think you could make the argument yeah. for it. I see. But I, I don't you know said that maybe I, I, too. I thought the other one was going to be Kirk Cousins. So that's no, I thought you were no. Doing. Only if he's playing at one p.m. You know. Yeah. Or like but, last but, year, Geno Smith. I last mean, year, Geno Smith. Top. But but yeah. I mean, going off one year, you, I don't think I could put him in the top ten. He has to repeat that. Jared but, Goff yeah, had the, a nice year, but the, but I'm saying like guys were bringing up exactly like that's the top five of the NFC though. Yeah. So yeah, no, they. I mean, realistically, there's there's one guy in the NFC that could compete for like MVP conversations, at least realistically yeah, what we would that. estimate MVP conversation. Mm -hmm. There's like five or six <laughs> in the AFC. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's a huge importance for Kenny Pickett to, to take that leap. I mean, the, the offense needs it. And we saw that, that in, uh, progression as the season went on, that second half from Kenny was really good down the stretch of the season we saw those improvements especially in those those later games in the season that we saw with the Raiders and the Ravens we saw the late game comebacks um we, we saw we're starting to see the signs of everything that you want to see from a franchise quarterback in his first season um now he needs to take that step in year two and I think the offense has all the weapons to do so and so it is really the ball is in Kenny's court and he has to take the keys and ride with it um Another guy we should just get right out of the way because we both have him. Everybody should have him. TJ Watt. We saw the difference this guy was. 
Yeah. Whenever he was not on the field, it changes the dynamic of the entire defense when TJ Watt is not in the lineup. And, and so when, when, when you have the best pass rusher, it's hard not to put him. And I, 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 which one would you say is more important TJ Watt or Kenny Pickett in terms of like most important to success in the 2023 season? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. He's not a better player. He's not a better player in his position. But I'm still saying Kenny. Yeah, I just think I. I think again. I like that's how I closed out my argument for him being. And I don't think I had to make the argument for him being one of the five most important Steelers. But right. I just think everything else goes right. But he's not. He doesn't take that leap. Nothing. None of it matters. Like that's just how yeah. I'm viewing it. So yeah, I no, think. I agree. Yeah, I agree with you. And I would still say Kenny Pickett, just because I mean he plays the most important position. And he's he's got to take that leap, but I, I think there someone could make the argument for TJ, and I could get around to it just because you saw literally what the defense looked like last year without him, and it yeah. they couldn't stop to run to save their life, which is ironic because we think of TJ as as just like a pass rusher because of all the the dynamic plays he makes rushing the quarterback, but you don't realize how much he does in the run game as well, and you saw the the defense suffer from that, um, which clearly franchise player best pass rusher in football he, he's got to be in the top five and then after that there's one more that we have that we have i think yeah. and this would pretty much be a consensus with everybody Minka fitzpatrick um the struggles that they had in the back end and and the the, the players that they don't have anymore in the back end they've, they've lot of, lost a lot of depth that they had back there with the absence of trail edmonds cam sutton there's a lot of new faces back there, but but Minka is one of the guys that has been like and you were saying it to me before the show, and it is so weird that he's like the third longest tenured uh player on the Steelers defense already. And it, it, I was thinking about it. This is gonna be his fifth season in a steel uniform. It does not feel like that because he got here in 2019, has played four seasons already. It's crazy, but it, he's he's I mean, in our estimation, probably I don't know if he is for you, is still like best free safety in, in football. Um, I, yeah. I've, I've viewed him that over his career. I mean, there's arguments to be made for other people, but always obviously going to have that Steelers bias. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to not put, make a top five and not have make a Fitzpatrick in there. Yeah. And I, I think they kind of go hand in hand. Like for TJ, I, I think that they've built their team through that pass rush. So like when you don't have that, it's why they don't invest as much as they typically do in corners. And I know that they spent, you know, the 32nd overall pick on a corner. They ended up double dipping the seventh round. But you still look at the cornerback room. It's, you know, not something that they're really willing to throw like high end assets at or a bunch of money at because they always want to create through the pass rush. When you lose that pass rush like they did last year when TJ was out for a long period of time, you see that get exposed a little bit. And it's a completely, completely different defense. It's just not built Mm -hmm. to handle his absence. Uh, In Minka's case, like you mentioned, Think about when he got here in 2019. He was playing on in the secondary with Terrell Edmonds, Joe Hayden, Mike Hilton, Cam Sutton, and Steven Nelson. Look at who's yeah. left from that group. It's crazy to think about that Mink is the only guy left from that defensive batch group. But I just, he's now, I mean, he always has been so important to what they do on defense. He can wear so many different hats. Um, you know, obviously he's found, you know, his his home at free safety. But when they bring him down, you know, as a robber, they can throw him in the slot a little bit too. He can do a lot of different things for them on defense, and it's been a seamless fit for him here. Um, yeah, he, he's super important on the back end, just because from a communication standpoint, um, and also just from you know his ability. Uh, it's just 
it's hard to find a better player at his position in the league. Like, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think my bias plays into a little bit. There's an argument that could probably be made for like three or four different guys that play that position mm-hmm. that they're the best in the league. But um, yeah, Minka is certainly one of the top five most important players for me for what they're going to do in 2023. If you lose him, you look at that safety group and it, KZ and I mean maybe at that point you move Keanu Neal to the back end even though we expect to see him play some linebacker uh, or like Trey Norwood I mean yeah it could get really dicey <laughs> the middle of the field and pass coverage down the field could could be pretty open yeah yep um all right so now maybe we could have some differences here uh, I, I want to preface by saying Cam Hayward is is the glue of, of that defense and everything that they do. He's kind of the like every all the highlights, all the credit that TJ gets. I don't know that it's possible without a guy like Cam Hayward doing what he does in the middle of that defensive line. He absolutely is one of their more important players. But for sake of being a little bit different, I want some different directions here. Just because, let's start with my one that I want here with Cole Holcomb. I look at what the Steelers have gotten from the middle linebacker position for the better part of five years now, like really since Ryan Shazier got hurt, Devin Bush's rookie season was okay. And it looked like year two was going well for him until he tore that ACL. But really, I mean, the majority of middle linebacker play they've gotten since that injury has been horrific. I think when you look at the commitment that they've made, the Cole Holcomb three years, relatively significant money, they must feel really good about that foot. And they feel like they have their solution here. I think if he isn't, you know, a, at least short term, I think they hope he's a long term guy. I mean, still just 26 years old. If he isn't at least the short term solution at this position, and we're talking having this same same conversation next year about off ball linebacker again, I think things went south for this defense. I think you need better linebacker play in 2023 than you've had for the last five years, or they're not going to be able to maintain as one of the top, you know, 10 defenses in the NFL without it. Yeah, I agree. And linebacker play has to improve. Um, it's been really bad for the Steelers for the better part of like four to five years now overall as a, as a complete unit. So I, and, and when you go from last year, you look at the guys who played the most snaps, all three of those guys are gone. So it, the, the fact that you have such a turnover and Mark Robinson is probably your most tenured linebacker. That's a little concerning. Um, at least tenured in a, in a Steeler uniform. And I will go to the vanilla answer. I'll go Cam Hayward. I, I mean, it, it's it's hard to leave him off, and I know it probably hurts you a little bit to leave him off. Um, but 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 you had to, you had to. It, linebacker is very important, but so is Cam Hayward. Um, I, what he means to that defense, and what he mean, means to that defensive front, even at 34 years old, still one of the top five defensive tackles in in the NFL, which is amazing at this point in his career to still be considered one of those top end guys and then I think it's important not just because of what he does while he's on the field but like you you look at if he comes off a lot changes on that defensive line there's there's not a huge amount of depth behind him I mean you got DeMarvin Leal who's kind of like an in-betweener of like is he an outside guy is he an inside yeah. guy we don't really know what he is and then they brought in guys like Armand Watts uh and then Braden Fahoku and Machavis Adams they're more like D, like nose tackles than actual like D tackles. So outside of of Larry Ogajobi, I mean Cam Hayward is the clear cut. I, I mean Larry Ogajobi is not better than Cam Hayward. Let me rephrase what I'm saying. But he's the only guy that you really have confidence in 
um, outside of Cam Hayward at that position right now. Um, mm-hmm. and, and even then, Larry Ogunjobi, a lot of people probably think he could have not lived up to the stuff, but he got that contract anyway for the Steelers. And so I think he needs to play better into his contract, but that this makes the importance of Cam Hayward even more because of the concern that you could have with a guy like Larry Ogunjobi. Cam Hayward is just so important on that defensive front. Like you were saying too, he ha- he makes the the outside guys' lives easier as well for, for Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt. Um, so yeah, Cam Hayward, even at 34 years old, still one of the top five most important players on this team. I think too, uh, I don't know if you said his name and I missed it, but Keanu Benton, who they just drafted. Keanu Benton, yeah, I did. Like, I I think from a standpoint of what I'm going to talk about here with my last guy that I want to bring up, of Cam Hayward's role also kind of being about taking that guy under his wing and kind of helping him in his development. That plays into how important he is, too, to this team. Because he needs to kind of groom Keanu Benton to be the next guy along that defensive line. That's so. true. And I didn't even mention him. Um, I, I wasn't even thinking about for that purpose. I didn't mention Benton mainly because I think he's going to be the starting nose tackle. Yeah. So okay. I don't even think he's going to be competing for playing time with, yeah. with the likes of Hayward. But it does make sense from just a he, he's on the defensive line with me, take him under my wing and, and train him. I'm the veteran guy. That that makes 100% sense. Uh, so my last guy that I'm going to go with here, and I, I don't know how productive he's going to be. There's only one football. You said you only had one guy on the offensive side. I have a second guy. It was mainly because of I saw George Pickens talking about Allen Robinson and kind of just how quickly he's came in here and got the ear of every other receiver in that room and kind of just immediately gained their respect and got their attention um, Allen Robinson to me is one of the more important players on this roster because for a long time, we've been talking about needing a leader in that wide receiver room. Don't get me wrong. Like I think Deontay Johnson is a good leader from a non-vocal perspective, but you need that guy too. Like Allen Robinson seems to be more willing to speak up, be able to offer knowledge to other guys. And he's just, I mean, he's been there and done that a little bit more than Deontay Johnson has. He's a little bit more of a seasoned veteran. Uh, I still think he can offer something on the field, but this to me is really more about teaching these guys some stuff in terms of just off the field. Like, I think he's going to be a really good mentor for these guys. Like maybe physically he can't do everything that he used to be able to, but he can pass along that knowledge to those guys so that they can. So you talk about bringing up, uh, you know, a second year George Pickett. I, I still think Deontay Johnson could still learn more. I know that he's going into mm-hmm. his fifth year in the league, but like, I don't no, think absolutely. he's, you know, done learning how to play the wide receiver position. Uh, and then you talk about Calvin Austin, who we didn't get to see any love last year. And a lot of people are talking about like, that's the guy kind of, maybe competing for who's going to see the most snaps in the slot. I think he could help bring him along too. So uh, to me, the addition of Allen Robinson was super important for that wide receiver room. So I think he's important. Not obviously I do think he, like I said, still has something left in the tank and can help from a football perspective, but also in just helping bring along a group that is very unproven and like very young. Deontay Johnson at 26 without Allen Robinson would have been the elder statesman of that room. So I think it was a very welcome addition. All right, well, I'll just go to that guy on the defense. Um, Patrick Peterson, uh, I'll, I'll say he's, he's he rounds out my top five. Pretty similar reasons, um, not only because of what he can do on the field, but what he can do off it, training those young guys. Because you look at the cornerback room for the Steelers, I mean, outside of Patrick Peterson, I would say Levi Wallace is the, the most like tenured or most veteran type of player after him. But then after that, I mean, you have Joey Porter Jr., Corey Trice, and – 
Then there's guys like James Pierre, who's had several seasons in the NFL, but hasn't had a ton of playing time, could still use that veteran presence. I mean, Luke Barku, the guy that got brought in a few weeks ago, another young guy that, that could could still use some veteran presence and, and use that knowledge to his advantage. I, I think that Patrick Peterson, with the career that he's had, I mean, what better player to be able to come in and, and teach these young guys how to play that quarterback position for what level he played it at for most of his career. And I think for an on-the-field perspective, I mean, we've talked about him a lot. Like, what's he going to be doing on the field, whether he's playing, like, outside? Is he going to be playing that that slot role? Like, we, we had talked about maybe bumping him into there and having Joey Porter Jr. and Levi Wallace on the outside. I mean, that's still to be seen, and that will, that will be – Un, or revealed as the summer goes on and we get into camp and everything. But I, I think that there is definitely some questions as to like, how can Patrick Peterson best fit this team and, and best be a productive player in this secondary. But also like you're saying with Allen Robinson and the, the young wide receiver core, he can usher in a new cornerback uh, core for the Steelers and really be a veteran presence for them and teach them a lot as well. I mean, he, he, well, what a better guy to lean on, especially for, you know, Porter Jr. and Trice coming in just because like you look at Peterson was kind of an anomaly for a good portion of his career. Like with how big he is, you don't see mm-hmm. corners like that. Typically, like obviously everybody immediately points to like the Legion of Boom corners with Sherman and Browner. But like at, at Peterson's size, like there weren't many guys like that that play in the position. And now it's obviously becoming a little bit more. Uh, regular, you know, these six one, six two plus corners, but um, yeah, I mean, what a great mentor! Second most interceptions among active players. Like this is, you know, the guy to learn from. So, uh, I think that's a great pick. I think we covered a lot of bases with our with our picks here. I'm glad you went Hayward. If I wasn't going to, and you didn't, we probably would have gotten a ton of flack for it in the YouTube comments. I had to put some respect on his name, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Have to. Uh, and I and I think you know, honorable mention the entire offensive line. Yeah, like, like I said, we we didn't pick out a single player, but they're going to be very important. And I feel like every Steeler fans knows this if they've watched the Steelers since 2019. Um, <laughs> that, that offensive line is a very important position. And so, yeah, we didn't pick one player, but that unit as a whole and protecting Kenny in year two, Kenny's not going to be able to take the leap we want to if he has a bad offensive line in front of him. So that also, is a super important group. He can't suffer two concussions again like he did last year so yeah i mean yeah. Then no, you absolutely i mean if we're talking it, yeah so obviously we didn't take a player to be in the top five but if we're talking top five position groups as a whole i mean that's probably top two and yeah. I, I i don't i don't know which one i'd put ahead of it i was i was thinking linebacker could be top number one just because of there's so many new faces and you got to improve that linebacker for, position for most important yeah. Oh, I would have offensive line for, for number one. I would have quarterback for number two. I'd have offensive line. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think top three for me would in terms of position groups would be that linebacker quarterback and offensive line group. Mm-hmm. Th- those are the three I think that are most important and linebacker. I feel like is the oddball because there's, it's like, we don't know what to expect from linebackers because we're not getting the same group back unless we're throwing yeah, Mark Robinson totally out there. We, we don't, we don't, yeah. we don't know anybody out there, how they're going to play as a Steeler. So yeah, I don't know a lot of new stuff, but it's fun. Um, switching topics, still Steelers related. Do you take any 
you know, are you taking any consideration at all, or is it just OTA talk? Uh, there's been a lot of smoke about it looking like the Steelers are going to incorporate more play action into the offense this year. You kind of look at the personnel that they've added as well. It would make sense. I mean, finally, if we can get with the times, that would be great. Um, but are you believing that this is going to be the case, or do you think this is just like, you know, it's June, football in shorts, and it's just something to talk about? I think it's I'll give my reasoning why I think it's June it's football and shorts. And I think it's something to talk about because uh, Matt Canada is still the offensive coordinator. We've expected it to change since he came in. We expected it to change whenever we got the young quarterback, honestly looked a lot, same, a lot of the same place looked a lot of the same, same designs. So I, I just don't really expect them to, to make a huge change to this offense, even with Kenny in year two, like obviously he'll have more trust in Kenny, but I think you saw that as the year progressed last year. Now, are they going to change the playbook like that? My gut is just saying, no, this is probably just like some summer talk while there's like a dead period before we get to camp, just because I don't really trust that Matt Canada is going to change up the offense that much. Yeah. Um, It's tough. I mean, it's, I, I can't disagree with you. Um, but I like the only thing is so Nick Faribaugh, big fan of his work. Uh, would love to get him back on the show sometime uh, before the season starts. Talk to him Steelers in his article today for Steelers. Now his like takeaways from OTA. We're talking about some like noticeable schematic changes to Canada's offense and talking about using more play action. So that's why I'm asking. Like, I, I again, do we see it play into actual football? Um but he's just uh, like in this article, he talks about how it's definitely been noticeable, the the usage of it. And again, like I understand what you're saying about Canada, but like, you know, year one of Canada was with Ben. So, you know, nothing. We really wouldn't have known what Canada really wanted to do. And then last year, they obviously had like the quarterback transition, like which they didn't really handle all that well, in my opinion. And I think a lot of people agree with that. Like the timing was really weird. They weren't giving Kenny the reps ahead of time and then throw, throw him in there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, who knows what they really wanted to do. So I'm not making any excuses for Matt Canada, by the way, if it were my choice, he wouldn't be here, but I will say like, maybe we finally are getting to a point where we're going to see what he's wanted to do and just hasn't been able to. Could be. Could be. Maybe he'll sign Quadri Henderson because that was the only thing that got him <laughs> the LSU job. So we'll see. Yeah. And I mentioned Keanu Neal. He will, he, a nugget from this article as well was that he was working with both the linebacker and safety groups. So it'll be interesting to see that as well. Yeah. Uh, and Mark Robinson ran with the first team. That's Which good. I I, I, th- yeah. I think I saw I think I saw some some signs that I of things I like with Mark Robinson's limited snaps and yeah li- and he had like a, playing there was so. a highlight interception that he made at OTAs last week I guess um so that's but it was with Landon Roberts and not Cole Holcomb hmm so interesting yeah we will see how that goes too and then uh the last thing i believe that i had Steelers related oh kevin dotson's comments this is i I saw you put this in the notes and i haven't seen his comments so this is going to be breaking news to me there's two different things to talk about it'll be breaking news to me so i'm I'm ready for it on one hand he was talking about himself and where he's at with the Steelers. he said he's kind of resigned to the fact that he's a backup if he if he remains with the Steelers. because when you go out and like when they first brought in herbig it was kind of just like a competition thing mm-hmm. but when you pay a guy like isaac samalo 
now that's saying that that's your guy. So Dodson has kind of become resigned to the fact that he's a backup for this team or he's not going to be on the Steelers, which, by the way, that's horrible to say. Like, I, I would still hope that he has the mindset that he can win this job. Because, like, at this, this point, if his mindset really is that, he's just resigned to being a backup, you're lost. You've lost the battle. Your mindset always needs to be that you can win the job. You think, like, Trubisky, in his mind, is still probably coming into this year to thinking, I know that he he's knows he's Kenny's backup, but he's still going to go out and compete as if he's going to be the starter. Yeah. So, I just, I don't like that comment from Dodson, but that's about himself, so whatever. He was also on a podcast talking about the Dan Moore and Broderick Jones situation, and he said that he wouldn't expect to see Broderick Jones this year. He thinks that Dan Moore is the starting left tackle for this team. And I think people took it, and, and Alan Saunders was talking about this, and I think he made a good point. I don't think it was a negative towards Broderick Jones. I just... And I kind of agree that I don't necessarily think Dan Moore played bad enough to like just straight up lose his job. Sure, adding competition to it, and I have no problem with the Broderick Jones pick. I like it, especially for the longer term. But like, I don't think if, if there was another area of need and the Steelers addressed it, if we were going into the year thinking Dan Moore is the starter, I'm not like terrified of that. Like, I think that he's potentially a starting tackle in the NFL. So I think it was more of that a testament to Dan Moore than it was a knock on Broderick Jones. But I'm just like, why is he even saying that? Like, why is he saying that he doesn't think Broderick Jones is going to play in year one? Dude, because he's a backup. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> hear what he says. Yeah, no, I, 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 okay, his first comment, whatever, dude. I mean, if that's the way you feel, then, then go ahead. You should, I can't uh, believe you, he wasn't traded already. You, you, should, you should still prepare like you're going to be the starter. But if you think you're the backup, I mean, you just know what everybody else is knowing at that point. So kudos to you for thinking that because you are the backup. Second, um, the Dan Moore and, and Broderick Jones comments. I mean, I don't know why he feels the need to say that. I, I completely understand the mindset. Um, and I, I, I did actually see something now that you mention it where I, I didn't know it was related to Kevin Dotson, though. Someone was talking about Broderick uh, or not Broderick Jones. Um, Dan Moore deserves the job and, mm. and I didn't know where that conversation was coming from. Now I understand it. Um, first off, no, I don't think anybody deserves a job. You have to earn the job. Second, I, I do think that Dan Moore Jr. Could be the starting tackle. And that's what we said from day one, whenever the Steelers made the pick that Dan Moore Jr. Very well could be the starting tackle when we open the season and throughout the season, project Jones is not going to be a guy that comes in and starts day one just because he was the first round pick i don't think that's how it should work i think it's a good healthy competition at your left tackle spot and i think that it could push dan Moore to be a better player just like it'll push project jones to be a better player in year one i i think that i'm very open to whoever wins the job wins the job i don't think there should be an incumbent starter in dan Moore, but i also don't think that there should be a guaranteed starting spot for project jones just because he was the the, the first selection I, I think the competition is very healthy and it will push to make the best offensive line and put the guest, best guy for that week at that spot. And so from a why he said it, no idea, but I don't necessarily disagree with the sentiment either. Yeah, I yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. And also, we've already seen the impact that it's had in, in terms of Dan Moore's mindset, gotten in better shape, started taking reps at right tackle like He's realized, okay, if I like want to really commit to this thing, if they're drafting this guy, 
I got to get more versatile and show them that I'm serious about not wanting to give up a spot. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that it kind of could be a three-way competition, including Chooks' spot. If Dan Moore is going to be able to take a right tackle spot and Broderick is playing that well, maybe he's you know well above where we expect him to be early on. So be it. It's about playing your best guys, like you're saying, whether that is you know a, a veteran of three-plus seasons or a rookie. If Broderick mm-hmm. Jones is the best option at left tackle, great. I hope he is sooner rather than later. If it's Dan Moore to start the season, I don't think it's the end of the world. I agree. Absolutely. All right. Uh, what is the end of the world is the Pittsburgh Pirates losing two three to the <laughs> Oakland A's. And we will talk about that and their recent stretch when we come back. Don't go anywhere else. I love how you ended that with don't go anywhere else, but we know talking Pittsburgh Pirates after losing <laughs> don't go anywhere else two Everybody goes to the else. Oakland A's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Between the Pirates losing two of three to the Oakland A's and the current air quality. Yeah. Everybody's tapping <laughs> out. It is the end of the world. Um, but yeah, so the Pirates had won six straight, even though Monday's game was very frustrating in this series. They still squeaked out a win, found a way to get it done. Um, and then they've lost two in a row to the Oakland A's since then, where they seemingly can't get anybody out. I want to ask you um, where you are on the worry meter with Roronzi Contreras, because this was a guy prior to Vince Velasquez's injury kind of looked like he was going to be moved to the bullpen, at least short term, taken out of the rotation to figure some things out. Uh, I'm very concerned, to be quite honest with you, and that's under the assumption that he continues to just be a two pitch pitcher. I just, I don't think you can survive that way in the MLB. There's been a lot of talk about him adding a two seamer, a third pitch of some type. Um, I think if he does that, obviously like that would be for the betterment of him and this club. I think he's got to find a way to do it. I would have, you know, you obviously hate to see that try to be experimented with in season, but it's very necessary. So if he wasn't going to do it in the off season, if it has to happen now, so be it. But yeah, assuming that he stays, you know, the course right now as a two pitch pitcher, he's not going to survive in the MLB. He's going to have to move to the bullpen if that's the case. So hopefully he does that a third pitch and it works out for him because if not, you know, a, a lot of last year's, you know, this is a guy that we were looking at as a piece of this rotation. So mm-hmm. that goes out the window and now you're looking for somebody else to step up. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I, I, my, uh, what did you call it? My your, your worry meter. meter. Worry, worry meter. meter, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, my, my my worry meter is is fairly high with him as well. I I mean, this is a guy that you were expecting some some more high level stuff from when he made his MLB debut, and you you saw some of this stuff. But I feel like I don't know if there's necessarily a regression. There been a regression, but you haven't seen a progression with him either. And I think that's the biggest concern. Like you're saying, he only has two pitches, and if those t- two pitches aren't working, we've seen that he gets rocked. Um, over his last seven days, he's got an 8.16 ERA, and on the season, in in 56 innings, he's given up 56 hits. So that is a clear sign for success when you're giving up at least one hit an inning. <laughs> and his his ERA on the season is 4.82, and it's that's continued to just like get worse and worse and worse. Yeah, I I think that it's absolutely a concern because. We've talked about how important the pitching is, especially whenever you're starting pitching. And today, I was speaking of Wednesday, he pitched 
uh, was it even two? Th- I think it was a third of an inning, right? One third for, of for the game. Yeah, that's 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 pathetic. I mean, that's something that you've got to improve upon. Also, four point eight two was prior to the game. It's at five point nine one. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm looking at Baseball Reference on that one, so they didn't update yeah. the game for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even looking at some of his 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 starts, he hasn't really had a quality start since uh, May 13th, whenever he pitched seven in, seven innings um, oh, a, a, against Baltimore. Yeah, but since then, four innings, two innings, a uh, couple five innings. But he's he's been getting rocked, which I think is the problem um, for a lot of it. Is he doesn't have that pitch development to to add that that third pitch and i feel like three pitches should be a minimum if you're a starting pitcher because of how many times that you're expecting to see these guys in the in in the lineup and and you're going in and out of the lineup guys are going to be ready if you only have two pitches if you can't change it up that much they're going to know what you're throwing uh, whether it's a curve or whether it's a fastball and there's 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 not a lot of shaking it up with him so that is a huge concern for me. And like you said, if, if you're only going to have two pitches, you better be just like a specialist out of the bullpen and and, and instead of a starter. I think if, if you're a starter, you need a minimum of three pitches, if not four at this point, because of how how many arm talents there are in the MLB nowadays. I, I feel like three should be your absolute minimum. But the fact that he's he's been getting rocked and has had terrible outings for the last – couple weeks that's that's a huge concern because this is a guy that you were wanting to be one of your better pitchers not only just on the team this year but like in your system this is a guy that came up and you thought he was going to be one of your better pitchers and it really hasn't panned out to 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 be the case now whether that's on solely him or if that's on pitching coaching as well like they can't help him develop a third pitcher or, or whatever i don't know um but they need to do something because otherwise he shouldn't be thrown out there because you're going to get results like today against the A's where he lasted a third of an inning. I loved your tweet, by the way, whenever you said, and out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, he's made 12 starts now this year. This was his 12th start. Eight times he's, he's had less than five strikeouts. To me, that's like the big thing. Like, I thought strikeouts were going to be a big part of his game. I thought that was going to be the way that he puts hitters yep. away. Um, so when you're not missing bats – to your point, I what you said earlier um, about like progression and regression. I think the fact that he hasn't progressed to the point of adding a third pitch is him regressing, because yeah. you're going to see teams be able to continue to like you're mentioning. Okay, first time through, maybe uh, although lately we've seen that not be the case. Maybe you are able to get by with that. The second time through, the, the hitters are MLB hitters are too good. They see your stuff once, they know what to expect. Mm-hmm. So you got to find different ways to get guys out. He just with that pit, with that pitch mix, if you want to call it that, isn't able to do that. So, yeah, I, I, I'm very concerned. Uh, the other thing is, like, I don't know what the solution is right now, because with no Velasquez, it kind of really limits what you can do. Like, do you are, is, is Quinn Priester about to be brought up, you know, sooner than we expect because of this friend of the um, show, by the way? Yeah, I go back and can people. Yeah, people can watch that. Um, but I, I don't know what the what the solution is. Unless again, you are, you know, I'm not saying rushing Quinn Priester, but if unless you're bringing him up earlier than we expect, I don't know that there is a solution right away. There's there's not an easy fix. That's that's what you're gonna have a bullpen yeah. game. You don't have enough starters. Yeah. Unless you unless you want to have a four man rotation. Yeah. Which 
honestly, <laughs> it might not be a bad idea if you're going to get terrible outings every single time. Or you yeah. can, you can do what we've seen some other teams do, especially Tampa Bay kind of made this this famous, like having a what do they call it? Not a starter, but but the guy that only opener. Yeah, I couldn't. I guess that's an easy word to remember. But yeah, like an opener. If you want to do that instead of having a fifth starter, I'd be much more open to that. Even if if Rwanzi was that opener, because then you're only going through the the lineup like one time. If you're only going to have those two pitches, I would be more open to experiment with that than I would having him as the fifth pitcher right now because he's getting rocked. And the Pirates, even though they they, they were on a six-game winning streak, which we, we, we've mm-hmm. been in a lot of doom and gloom since we started talking about them, but they were on a six-game winning streak, but the, yeah. that was followed up by two it's terrible so... losses to the Oakland A's. I saw somebody tweet this today. Ah, dang, I can't remember who it was. I wish I'd give him credit. That was like, this Pirates season has been a lot like the 2020 Steelers, where it's like, you look at their record and you're pleasantly surprised, but you actually watch a game happen and you're like, there's no way this is going to hold up. Like, this team isn't one of the best teams in the league. The Pirates absolutely should not have the record that they do when you just look at it in totality, not just recently, not just April, not just the month of May either. Like, they're also not that bad, but they are probably a max 500 baseball team. And I think it will reflect that way at the end of the season. But right now, looking at it, you look at them and they're in a playoff spot right now. Like, they just their record shows an overachiever, but you can turn them on and watch any given game and see, yeah, this is not a team that is should have this record. Yeah, well, not even just their record, but their their standings within the MLB and within their division. The Pirates are lucky that not only that they have the record they are, but the, the division is dog water. This this division yeah. sucks. I mean, the, the NS, NL Central is so bad, it, and it's it's like people are competing. To not be in first place is what it's more like than, Heck, than the actually Reds, beginning to be in first place. The Reds with bringing up Ellie De La Cruz, they might end up winning the division. Yeah, I mean, super. How is similar? Now, right? How similar is that to O'Neill Cruz? Not just the name De La Cruz to Cruz, but like from a stature standpoint, skill set standpoint, it's like he made his debut. Waiting yesterday. to call him up standpoint. <laughs> 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 you, he made his debut yesterday, and the highlights are talking about him having the hardest hit ball of the season and his sprint speed being stupid. And it's like this is like O'Neill when he came up, the same exact conversation. Yeah, yeah. no, that that's a, that's like identical, and that's that sucks that he's in the division now, and he's actually at the MLB yeah, level. Awesome. But 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 he's a fun player to watch, and I I think that it's a very similar situation. But now that we're in the Super Two talk, I mean. Who can the Pirates bring up that could add some value? So, it was a, this was interesting. I know a lot of people that think Davis is not going to spend much time in AAA and he's going to beat Andy to the majors. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Like, wow. I'm talking like two weeks. Two weeks? Mm-hmm. That's like some Mike Trout stuff. I mean, right they drafted him <laughs> as a college bat, and all the talk was how advanced he was, and he should get to the majors sooner rather than later. I mean, there's players from that class already that have made it to the majors, I'm pretty sure. If not, they're at AAA, like, knocking on the door earlier than he was. Yeah. And he was so, the one overall pick. Yeah. So, as a, as a college bat, like, I, I think... Yeah. So, I don't think it's out of question. I'm curious how the organization is viewing those two, but... I'm also curious. I, I think it's going to be pretty telling who we see catch more over the next couple of weeks. 
who ends up being the first guy called up. But I do think one of them is definitely coming within, you know, the month of June. Well, you know, I don't know. I think it's really hard to to bring up a catcher when you have Austin Hedges behind the plate. I, I don't know I mean, that even you can really Jason make delay hasn't been like. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't think I can make the make the give a, give a reason why we need to bring up our number one overall pick when we have Austin Hedges and Jason Delay as as our tandem back there. You know. Yeah. They, and it, they, I mean, they, they've shown nothing but but good good defense, strong bats. I, I, I think that they're in a great spot behind the plate. I don't think enough people talk about it. I think Austin Hedges is obviously horrible offensively. I'm not saying he's as bad. Delay's pretty dang bad defensively. But he's like, batting 301. Yeah. That's flip side. Well, okay. He's basically the player standpoint to me of the Pirates record. Like, there's no way that's holding up. I don't view what? Jason Delay as that type of hit. He's batting 301, but yeah, his, it's a his defense is awful. <laughs> yeah, it's a mirage that he's Meanwhile, batting. Austin Hedges is batting 176. Yeah. But the thing is, like, when one of those guys comes up, Hedges is staying the backup. Like, it's Jason Delay that's going to lose that yeah. spot, which honestly makes sense. Like, I, I know people probably don't want to hear that, but a defense first catcher, like what Hedges is, it's the ideal backup catcher. He's just playing way too much. He shouldn't be a starter. He should be a backup. Dude, this makes this really makes me miss um, Stallings. Watch it, watch him catching. Yeah. Man, does he stink now though? But well, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but <laughs> yeah. like him in a Pirates uniform. Yeah, that 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 version of Stallings. He was he was a great catcher for for us for the, for his limited time here. Mm-hmm. It, it, well, oddly enough, a lot of people kind of compared his career to the way that Jason Delay's was because, like, he was about to retire from baseball. Jason Delay installings. Look how long it took him to, like, a super late bloomer. When yeah. he was like twenty nine, basically, by the time he became the Pirates' number one catcher. So pretty much. Um, but yeah, I'm. I'm also while we're talking him. about former Pirates catchers, can we talk about what a freaking jag off eric kratz is on twitter mm, i don't know that i paid any attention to this he's like a he's like a douche on twitter i might have to look into this why like what he, i think he's he, he i mean he's he's super hardball like old school hardball okay and he's just rude to fans online i think is, is it like does he host a podcast or something i don't think he or like, a, i've just seen tweets okay I was I just wondering tweets. what, like, so it's not even to try to, like, get interaction for anything. I don't think so. And I'm pretty sure it was Eric Kratz. By the way, Eric Kratz, home, he, homer. He, he's, he hosts something. I just, it's in oh, his, does he? Baseball the way it should be covered in real conversations with MLB studs, Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern. Huh. Foul territory. Yeah. Also, I'll, I'll give a little props oh, to Oh, my. Because, Wait. Because I remember that, uh. Who did he hit it off of? I don't think it was it Noah Noah Syndergaard. That solo shot in like the bottom of the eighth inning against the Mets, I think, because it was he was it was him and who was pitching. Was it Jeff? Wait, he talked about the he hit a home run off Mad Bum in a or in, Mad Bum. Was, that was it. When, when Jeff was it Jeff Locke? It was Jeff Locke. Was pitching? I'm fairly certain it was Jeff Locke. Yeah. Also, shout out to Jeff Locke. 
he's just a he's a dad vibing. But he was one of my favorite pitchers, even though a lot of Pittsburgh hated him. Dude, what is this show like? Todd Frazier is involved with it. It looks like really. <laughs> my God, yeah. Also, shout out to Kutch for ha- still having a three eighty one on base percentage. Yeah, two more hits. That's what he needs. Got one today, but do you so think that? Do you show. think that uh, he will be extended past this season with the Pirates? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that because you think he's the veteran presence they need or because of his play as well? Both. I think, you know, it's also going to give him like, I know he wanted to come back and like win this year. And like, again, they're kind of overachieving. Maybe they do stay in contention for a playoff spot throughout the entire maybe, year. Maybe by, maybe by October, Ronzi figures out a third pitch. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but like next year should be a shot for him to make the playoffs again with the Pirates. So, like, I yeah. think it would, you know, it gives him that opportunity again. I mean, well. I, I I think I've said this on the show. If I haven't, I've at least said it to friends. I would be all for basically just giving Kutch one-year contracts until he wants to retire. Assuming that he, he still plays at a serviceable level, even if his play dips a little bit and he's just more of a, a bench player, I, I, I think that that veteran presence and just him being in the locker room is enough for me to just say, you get contracts until you want to retire. There you go. I'm on board. I think he could definitely play at least another year. Yeah. His game just, I mean, you, you talked about like the on-base percentage. He just has such a good eye for the plate. Better than any umpire in the league. Like he's going to draw walks, even if that, I mean, the bat speed still is still there. You see how quickly he can get those wrists around. Mm-hmm. But even if that diminishes a little bit, like <clears throat> he's still to be drawing some walks. I I don't want to I don't want to speak out of. I don't want to make this this too much of a comparison. I'm not. Uh, I want to preface this before I say it, but it's kind of like a similar situation to what we talk about when we talk about like Sid. Whenever his, his like obviously aging, the speed and certain physical attributes are going to diminish, but he's still the smartest player on the on the rink. And so I think I think it could be like a that's kind of like what we're talking about with Kutch. Like even though he's diminishing as a player physically, potentially, like he still is just you still gotta have that you gotta have that game. trump card, that one thing. Like with Kutch, yeah. it's gonna be his vision, his eye for the plate. With with Sid, obviously, you know his the, ass. His, his... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. His his ability to you know protect the puck on the boards better than anybody else. Using his what? <laughs> you said you said it back. I can't top it. Nor will I try. Um, but all right, I think that about wraps it up. Unless you did anything else. No, just Connor Joe is a dad, daddy. That's it. Not not an actual dad. He's daddy. You know? Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know where that came from. I don't know. He's just fun. I like his hair. <laughs> his 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 hair is wild. It just always <laughs> looks wet. Uh, who leads the team? Uh, that was a dumb question. I was about to say, who leads the, the team in homers? And it's Jack Swinski. Because it's either a homer or he strikes out. So, um, I did want to mention, as Tyler said, we are you know still have some links and stuff in the description of this. You guys have, know them by now. Um, 
there is a senior at Central Valley, which where, where I graduated from, as well as he goes to church, same church that my mom goes to, that's doing a senior project through Samaritan's Feet. Not sure if you guys are aware of their mission at all, but basically they take any new or slightly used shoes and put them to good use. You know, if you have any shoes lying around that fit that criteria, I, that's something we probably have taken for granted our entire lives, you know, having a pair of shoes. Yeah. Not everybody does. So this is a way to, to give back and a great cause. We will have the link to SamaritansFeet.org right in uh, the link or the description of the show, whether that's on YouTube uh, or on any of our listening platforms. So be sure to check that out. Uh, give Joseph you know, all the help he needs and making sure that his senior project is successful. Uh, I'll be donating to this. So hope you guys join me. Check out our YouTube soon. New stuff going to be coming out. Yep. You might see a third face involved with it as well. I mentioned that Sarge could be doing some stuff with us, uh, which I think he's probably more excited than the two of us are about that. <laughs> Just kidding. We'll find out. We're going to find out if he watches or listens to this entire show based off if I hear about that remark. We'll find out. That was a test. That is a test. <laughs> uh, but all right. Thanks for watching or listening to this episode of Around the 412. Oh, a couple of things to bring up. Uh, obviously, bringing in Kyle Dubas. We got to get some more Penn stock going on here in the near future. Not next week, the following week, Josh Getzoff, the voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins from the radio side will be joining the show. He just joined uh, my boys, uh, Trey and uh, Vinny's podcast, athletic aesthetic podcast. So go check them out as well. But he was just on there. I don't know if you guys saw it. Great intro. Like Josh's ability to snap into, it's almost like a character like snap into his play-by-play voice was insane to watch it take place. Um, but yeah, we're going to get him on here and talk. So, Cause they didn't really talk that much hockey on there. It was more about just like his career and stuff like that. So we're going to dive into the, some specifics with Kyle Dubas and uh, see how excited he is to be calling games for that organization. Um, but yeah, we're really excited about that. So check that out in a couple weeks, but obviously we still have one more episode before that. So don't skip out on that one just to listen to the Josh cats off one in a couple weeks, but subscribe here like here leave a comment down below hit the notification bell so you don't miss anything leave us a five-star review if you're listening somewhere else subscribe wherever that might be all that good stuff that i bring up every single week for smitty for tyler this has been around the 412 and we'll see you next week Bye bye